Whatever I said, whatever I did, I didn't mean it. I just want you back for good. Want you back. Want you back. We want you back for good. Oh, it never went. Okay, fine. The bowl of disappointment is returned once again for Tom Rennie. You didn't sing. You didn't sing. I thought you were going to sing. I the thought you were going to sing. The disappointment is back again for Tom Rennie. And now we can start the show. Well, hi, everybody. It's the Week in the Tackle podcast. It's lovely to be back with you. Um, the podcast where we look across the previous week from the world of soccer and we tackle the things that we thought were interesting. I'm the radio personality and broadcaster Tom Rennie, and some would say Essex's finest sex machine. Along with me for the ride, metaphorically, is MLS legend, Olympic superstar, and a man whose face is 95% plastic. It is Mr. Brian Dunseth. How are you, mate? You're right. You're spitting a lot of facts this morning or this afternoon or whatever time slot. By the way, thank you for joining us here on Week in the Tackle. We've missed you. We're excited to be back. I love the response we got on Twitter, at SiriusXMFC, uh, at Tom Rennie, at Brian Dunseth. We have a fantastic time all the way around, and uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be back alongside of you on a week that we wish the season may have started next week. Mm. Yes, it's the earliest start ever to an English football season, or should that be... The earliest, hmm? Hmm? The earliest start <laughs> to a football season. <laughs> it's not, we're not recording this, right? That was just rehearsal. We're going to put it in. Okay, fine. Um, yeah, it's the earliest start ever. We've never started this early. Everyone's still on holiday. The weird thing about it right now, Danny, in England is that the kids are still off school. Mm. So we have, I don't know what it's like in America, but we have what's known as the six weeks holidays. Uh, it might have like a different kind of uh, tag in America, we but everyone thinks about it. Yeah, we just call it summer break. Just summertime, summer, summer break. Yeah. Well, we we, we have like, it's, it's in people's minds in England. We're just weird like that. You know, this is what they would call it at Hogwarts. Um, it's the six weeks holidays. And usually the football season starts right at the end of the six weeks holidays, just before the kids go back to school. Um, that's kind of what my headmistress sounded like. Um, but the kids are literally still off school. It's so weird. So, like, I went to a game on the Sunday, the West Ham game, and there's all kids everywhere because you've got to keep them busy. So they ain't got to get up tomorrow for school. We've still got two or three weeks left. This season has started too early. That's what I'm saying. Uh, based on some of the performances this afternoon or yesterday afternoon, I, I would highly agree with you. Uh, I would highly agree with you. This is, a, uh, this is where we realize that all of these talking heads, including ourselves, are complete idiots, are complete morons. Um, these... These predictions, right? We throw these predictions. Hey, the summer transfer window is still open for another three and a half weeks or three weeks left in the summer transfer window. Yet we're trying to predict the start of the season, what the end of the season will look like. It's absurd. It's obnoxious. And we've continued to realize across the board, it doesn't matter which team you are, with maybe the exception of Manchester City, that you have some serious, serious issues that you have to attend to before this transfer window. By the way, uh, Brighton, Grand Potter, you sell your two best players, you rake in over a hundred million pound, and you were the best team on the field at Old Trafford this afternoon. I know we'll get to that, but there were some really fantastic performances and some highly concerning, I don't even know if we call them performances, of what we've seen over the last couple of days. Let's start with Manchester City, and specifically I want to start with Erling Haaland, because firstly, there's, there's, I have so much to say about Erling Haaland, I could do this all day, I love him so much. And he's just scored two goals against my team, who are like my lifeblood. And yet I just I just can't feel bad about it because he's so good. <laughs> um, firstly, I'm calling him Erling Haaland. Why? Because his dad said their name was Haaland. And there's a great tweet on Sunday from Bryn Law, who does Leeds United's commentaries. He's been doing it for 30 years or so. And he said this. I remember Alfie Haaland telling me I was getting his name wrong in Leeds commentary. It's pronounced Haaland. So I kind of do that. So if someone says that's what the family name is, you go with it. So this whole Haaland thing, like that's just not what his name is. We might get the pronunciation guides this week and they change it. But that, sorry, Tim, is his f***ing name. So let's just go with that and not be too like mad about it. Secondly, Erling Haaland loves Week in the Tackle. Why? Because he gave a post-match press conference to Jeff Shreves of Sky Sports. And he said, or the question was, Erling, were you frustrated that Pep Guardiola took you off on two goals when you could have scored a debut hat-trick in the Premier League, just like you did at Borussia Dortmund? And he said, 
yeah, it's shit, which I just thought <laughs> was an incredible answer. And then, sorry, Tim, he said, yeah, it's shit. And then Jeff said, you can't say that. And he went, oh, shit, sorry. <laughs> He's the best. Magnificent, magnificent week in yeah. the tackle answer. Yeah. Um, but here's the other thing on Erling Holland, right? There's a few schools of thought post-Community Shield last week, right? Where he didn't have the best of games, right? Sure, he didn't do. But this week, this past week, has been a bit of a farce in analysis of football as far as I'm concerned. Why? Because you've got a couple of groups of people here that we should not listen to anymore. And one of them... Actually, that's not fair. One of them are people who played football, analysed the game great, and have some really considered points about how the Bundesliga and the Premier League are different and there's going to be certain adaptations between one league and the other league in order to uh, make Holland the best player he can possibly be. I don't agree with that, but I can mm. see where those people come from and I would give them a pass on it because when you buy a 100 million pound striker or a 60 million pound striker or whatever, you know, when you buy a big money centre forward, you build the team around the striker. The striker doesn't bend to the team's will. You build the team around the strikers because you, you've just spent all the money on him. And mm. the only thing that matters is sticking the ball in the net. If you stick it in the net and you're doing the job, that's why you're the highest paid player and the superstar player and all that sort of stuff. Yep. But what you've had in the last week is people who kind of do things without considering it um, for their YouTube channel or for clicks on social media. And they've been saying things like Erling Haaland's a fraud. Erling Haaland's a fraud. Erling Haaland's rubbish. Erling Haaland's not going to cut it. He's never going to make it in the Premier League. Premier League's best in the world, blah, blah, blah. Now, these people, go, go on your, your social media now, folks. Go on the YouTube and type in Erling Haaland fraud. Anyone who wrote that or even considered it, block them. Block them, delete them, because you don't need them. Because these people are not smart. They are not smart. They don't understand the game. They don't understand footballers they can't you know i understand we're in the money ball world now and everyone cares about xg and everyone cares about but what do the stats tell us mm. if you use your eyes and have watched him play he was going to destroy this league like thanos in part one i yeah. never saw part two i don't hear good things i like the way the first one ended no one likes spider-man so i think that that was a perfect that was a perfect embodiment of why all these people were wrong there's two bits about the the, the goals right so I went to the post-match press conference um, at London Stadium with Guardiola and David Moyes, though West Ham are a bit irrelevant to the whole thing. And there was a question about the penalty, because the, the penalty thing has been a, a thing we've spoken about before yeah. at Man City, right? The, the roving beast of penalties that might even see Edison take penalties. And he went up when he won the penalty. And, and by the way, Ariola, bad goalkeeping. Mm. That was just bad goalkeeping. I'm not a big fan. Mm. Um, but he gives the penalty away. Classic striker play, bust a gut to get there, knock it left, jump on the ground, draw the contact, get the penalty. Clear as day penalty, right? Not a dive like Mitrovic, it's a proper penalty, right? <laughs> and we'll get to that, folks. Oh, my God, Liverpool fans, yeah. you must be gutted. Diving for a penalty, I bet you're furious. Hmm. Um, but Moho, never heard of him. Um, but then he picks the ball up, right? He picks the ball up, and Guardiola said, I think if anyone tried to take the ball off Holland, yeah. he would have punched them in the face. Yeah. And I fully believe it. Yeah. I 1000% believe it. The center forward takes the penalties. If the center forward's not taking the penalties, you haven't got a center forward. You haven't got the right guy there. The center forward should take the penalties because scoring goals should be so desirable for them. Um, you know, it should be like all your favorite pinups rolled into one. It should be like your favorite takeaway smothered over your favorite pinup. It, it should be it should be what I just discovered this week, which is a Boston cream donut pop tart. Oh, my no. God. The most amazing thing oh I've no. ever eaten in my life. So oh. good. I put it in the bowl. Then I put ice cream on it. Then I put cream on it. Then I put sprinkles on it. And no, I'm not on my diet anymore. <laughs> what of it? My baby's four weeks old. I'm not on a diet. I'm barely breathing. You're so that's just the mimicking. First bit. Yeah, you're mimicking. That's the first bit. I got you. So, yeah. so the penalty is amazing, right? Absolutely amazing. It was just it was it was brilliant. But then the second one's even better. It's nice Man City play. West Ham finally got into the game. But again, they're irrelevant this week. The ball goes through to him. And I'd love to then speak at that moment to all these people that were saying he's a fraud, he's useless, mm. he's never going to do the step up. You know, he's going to score 10 goals. There's no yeah. guarantee he's going to be amazing. You know, idiot people, don't listen to him. Useless, block them, forget about them. Oh, they've got all the shows. Okay, fine. Well, listen to this podcast instead. 
how many views? Yeah, we should put this on YouTube. We should. Um, but 62,500 were in London Stadium. I bet 62,500 thought he was going to score. Mm. And I can't think of many people in the world would have thought that off. You know, this is Lewandowski, Kane yeah. territory, yeah. right? Yeah. Benzema, whatever. Yeah. Actually, to be honest, not even them. It's, it's, it, I just never doubted for a second. I would have put my testicles on him scoring in that scenario. And he did because huh. he, I don't think Danny feels it. I don't think he has that layer of analysis. I don't think the concept that he might miss this nope. even comes into his mind. Combine nope. that with the fact that he's such a technically gifted striker yep. that he's not going to miss it. Um, he's going to score 30 goals minimum in this league. City are going to win the league by 15 points. We might as well go home. Let's cancel this now, mm. and we can start season three of Week in the Tackle next week. My golden boot winner, Erling Holland, gets off to a brace, number one. Number two, Tom Holland is the best Spider-Man. Number three, it's the arrogance. It's the arrogance of these, these Muppets that don't realize that his power, his size, his strength, his athleticism, his technical ability, um, and, and the street smarts in between the ears of what Erling Holland had. What, what it shows me is the arrogance and the nonchalant arrogance to, number one, okay, we, we're, it's a farmer's league. Look at how many goals he scored at Borussia Dortmund, and it's a farmer's league. They don't defend well. Uh, he's going to score those goals. If you've watched him, the tra trajectory of his career from the under-20 World Cup when he dropped seven to then what he did at uh, Red Bull Salzburg uh, with Jesse Marsh, what he did at Borussia Dortmund, what he's doing at the national team, his size, and by the way, he's still growing, right? Just grew an inch um, since when he was doing his medicals at Man City. Or I didn't even mm. know it was that tall. I grew an inch. Um, you're looking at a guy who's even more athletic than what Zlatan was at that same age. And that's what's frightening about him. Because we can talk about, you know, Kareem Benzema, and we can talk about uh, Robert Lewandowski, and we can talk about Harry Kane, and we can talk about who's next. Erling Holland is there already. You're just not you're you're just afraid to acknowledge it. That's mm. the not you, but everybody out one. there. They're they're just afraid to acknowledge it. And and I'm super conflicted on this one because I gotta look at Tim Horsey's smug little face with Darwin <laughs> Nunez, and now I gotta watch Man City play. And I, I these are the two guys that I've really enjoyed running the lines. And as a United fan, I never expected them to come to the team. But now I'm looking at him in, in, in even more jealousy, in, in even more envy um, that at least I'm excited that they're in the Premier League and we can see and they can break through these stupid narratives and, you know, all of these YouTube clips or whatever. Like, oh, look at your striker. You paid 82 million. He's not as good as mine. Like, that's what we continue to see. That's how fucking, sorry, Tim. Uh, that's, that's how stupid it is sorry tim um I, I was like why am i not saying this let's say it out do that loud. in sorry, the voice tim. do that in the voice do it sorry tim <laughs> idiots sorry tim um okay that's four i gotta stop i have hit my i've hit my my payload we're already out we're already out in I section think, one see this is someone we like yeah and, and this is where i i think there was it's got to be the pep thing right that's what everyone was worried about it's got to be the Pepin's Latan at Barcelona, right? Is yeah. is that's got to be the hesitancy because I can't see any other thing when people are saying, "Well, he's got to learn how to play in the Pep Guardiola system." It's different. Mm. No, it, it really isn't for him. Is it going to be more possession based? A hundred percent. Is it going to is it going to be as transition like break in and use his speed? Well, yeah, it's still there. It's it is going to be a little bit different, but. Don't think for a second that this guy is not going to win the golden boot. Oh, yeah. They, they score more goals than anybody else. And with him leading the line, let it, me ask you this question. Someone said this week that it was disrespectful to Mo Salah and Hung Min Son to suggest that Erling Haaland was going to come into the Premier League and be the golden boot winner. Where on the scale of total bollocks is that for you? Uh, it's really high. And, and, and that's not. I don't mean to be disrespectful to Mo Salah and 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 Sonny, but listen, when when they came in the league, there were zero expectations on those guys to be the leading goal scorers of the Premier League, and yet here we are, right? So I know it's week one, I I, I get it, but you're so naive if you're not looking at Erling yeah. Holland and saying this guy is legit, he's real. And by the way, yeah. if you're a City fan, I, I mean. You get three, four years out of him. I don't know if he's going to be a generational stay forever, Alan Shearer, you know, breaking records goal scorer. But, man, have fun while you got him because you got a juggernaut on your hand right now.
I, mean, I still have so much more to say about Erling Horn. We might do the whole show on him. I, I, it was it was so mind blowing and brilliant to We're see swooning. him. Yeah. I genuinely am swooning. Like the element of is it disrespectful to Mo Salah or Hung Min Son or whatever? Like they are Elvis. <laughs> they are Elvis Presley, right? And everyone loved Elvis. The one about the shoes that are great, amazing. What do the one about the dog? Love it. But this is the Beatles and the Stones at the same time coming together. This is like. Penny Lane and Satisfaction just had a baby and it's Mick Jagger. It's mm. Mick Jagger with Lennon's glasses and McCartney's songwriting ability. He even plays the drums like Ringo. Actually, that's not a good thing. But anyway, he's got all the attributes of all these things together and no disrespect to Elvis. We look forward to the Baz Luhrmann movie on Mo Salah in years to come. But we are right now in the genesis of the Beatles uh, and, uh, and we're in big trouble. We're in big trouble right now, everyone, because he is going to change what we think of as a centre forward in this country. And he was already doing it in Germany, by the way, and he was doing it in not Bayern. And he was, doing, he was still scoring an incredible amount of goals. So even that, even that is, is, is an interesting part of it. Um, a little bit more on this. I wanted to say um, about Guardiola. I just, he's done this before, as you know, and, and we've discussed this previously on, on, on Sirius XMFC when he has done this to other players. When a player is on two goals, when a player is on two goals and there's 15 minutes left and the opposition are pliant and beaten and they just want to get to the end without being embarrassed now, don't take that player off. Just, just I mean, he said in, in the post-match, you know, I don't care. They ain't my business. Scoring a goal, scoring a hat-trick ain't my yeah. business. You he know, blah, blah, care. blah. Yeah, he doesn't care. But it's a weird power play, right? It's a weird power play that I'm the man in charge. I'm, I'm making the decisions here. And this is not, this is not your decision to make because he was visibly annoyed about it when he oh, came yeah. off week yeah. one, and and it's almost like he's already telling Harlan that well actually I'm the boss here and I think you're in the red zone or whatever yeah. and I'm going to bring you off because that's my decision. But he's on two goals and this is a legitimate superstar and I know he had Messi, and I know he's had great players as well Lewandowski whatever. But this is this is something new. This is like the advent of rock and roll, right? This is what's happening now in the Premier League with this guy, in my opinion. And he's allowing his incredible personality to come to the fore. And I think we all needed that hat trick today. Mm. And again, I remind listeners, new listeners to this program, I am the biggest fan of West Ham United. You're probably <laughs> yes. ever going to meet, okay? Yes. Yeah. This, so this is not, this is not, I'm not a Man City fan by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but we all needed that hat-trick goals. For that to be taken away on this weekend, it almost felt spiteful hmm. to me. Would I have liked to see it? Yes. Uh, it would have matched the debut he had at Dortmund. It would have matched the debut that he had in the Champions League. Uh, so, yeah, there, there was kind of the, the feel-good factor that, you know, the balloon gets popped, the air rushes out, and you could see Holland like, why the f are you taking me off right now? Sorry, Tim. Sorry, Tim. Th that's the body language, right? That was the look. So it, I don't know if you caught it, but immediately Phil Foden kind of comes around and then you see Kevin De Bruyne come around and it was almost like, you're the man, like we got you. Don't like, don't do anything. Like everything's okay. <laughs> Steady. Like, but you know, because there, there are those moments, not, not, and to be clear, not that Erling Holland is going to be petulant publicly and physically show that, but you could tell he was disappointed. So I get it from Pep Guardiola. Take that away. From Pep Guardiola's standpoint, it's a long season. It's a long season. I mean, they could potentially, even with the World Cup break, I mean, we haven't, at some point, we've got to talk about the complexity of how this is all going to look for the club's domestic side, for the national team players, and then the return to play in January. But there's a lot of games. And, you know, he, there was no reason to keep him on outside of the fact that the hat trick was available to him. Hey, uh, Tom Rennie, I don't know if you knew, um, I kind of like this team called Manchester United. They play up in Old Trafford. Well, sometimes they play. Today, they most certainly didn't. Uh, they took on this team called Brighton. Brighton had just sold their two best players, or arguably two of the more important players, generated $100 million or so. You know, a guy that's, you know, pinging the ball around, guy Basuma can tackle, can play, can be a link player, can, you know, both sides of the ball, can be a six, can be an eight, whatever you're asking from. Got great range, sold him to Tottenham, Tottenham. And then this guy, Cucurella, <laughs> I didn't know if you knew some people um, during the broadcast of hmm. the Everton 
Chelsea game, um, it was incredible statistic. The seventh most expensive footballer defender in the world, Kukurella. That's a stat worth repeating. I mean, what a seventh most uh, yeah, expensive defender in the world, Kukurella. Um, it's uh, you, you go to Old Trafford, and listen, I think we all recognize Graham Potter is that next English manager that's yeah. going to have a shot, right? We've we talked about Eddie Howe, we talked about Sean Dyche, but and we and obviously. Brendan um, Rogers is is always kind of been in that mix, especially when Lester was was doing much better than they're currently doing. Um, but for Potter, there, there's there's tactical nuance, there's setup, there's recognition of of how he wants to play. I said this last year. You know, they might be a mid table team, they might be an upper mid table team, but you know what they're doing every single game. You see in the transition and the possession and the panache, they've got all of that. And today, uh, it was just a really gross performance a gross performance for Brighton and a gross Beautifully performance done. for Manchester Beautifully United. Beautifully done. The it headline writer of the Sun couldn't have done better. It than was that. a gross performance for both sides. Uh, I mean, listen. Let, let, let's, let's chinwag. Let's yeah. chinwag here. Yeah, let, let, let's delve into this with you with Brighton Manchester United. Manchester yeah, Bri- United Brighton, are Brighton are great. Brighton no. are great. The manager's great. They they plan for departures before they, they allow them to happen. Yeah. Brilliantly run club. And they've got a great coach and all that. And they, they get big money for players too and then reinvest in multiple players. So great. Love them. Fantastic. And Pascal Gross. More power to him and always sounding him. But let's... Mm. let's, let's Delve into Manchester United here. Which part would with, you like um, to delve into? Without Wh- Wh- where do you want to start? Where now, where would one start right now? What is happening? Like what what what's what's um because because the thing is the the the, 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 uh, the thing is with the I actually don't know which crisis to, to, to ask you about. You don't know where to start. You really no, don't. I, look, I mean, we knew last time we did the podcast together, you know, April time. We knew all these problems, right? Mm. We knew all these problems, but we knew Eric Ten Hag was coming in, going to save the day. And we yep. thought he's bald and he's got a beard. It's a really sexy look. Um, he's going to help. He's going to save the club, right? This is what we thought. Yeah. And we, he, he knew he was coming in a long time ago, right? So it's, mm. it's not like it's like a, it's, oh, we've got to get someone in by the weekend sort of job, right? It's not no. an, a, a, no. a shock sacking. He knew we get he to this point. We yeah. get to this point. I know the window's in you know a few weeks. But the players they want obviously don't want to come. And they don't seem to be going to their second set of targets. There's some talk that Marco Anatovic, oh. another one of my more beloved players, um, is it might be coming from Bologna. Poor man's re- Poor man's reject- yeah. They've rejected bids. Yeah. They've literally rejected bids from Man United. I mean, I, I suppose my question is, how much was the game on Sunday as bad as it was because of the planning of the last few weeks by Eric Ten Hag, who's been manager now, appointed... Mm. For like four months. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I, I would say there's a couple layers to this in my mind, in my mind. So we knew going into the off season, right? That, well, Greenwood was never going to be available, that you're walking away from Edison Cavani. Uh, you're walking away from Juan Mata, Jesse Lingard. Um, you know that you've got a Christian, oh, Paul Pogba, obviously you have a Cristiano Ronaldo issue that you have to sort out um, in terms of playing style, right? So you name the manager, and I think it's a good appointment. I like his he, – he couldn't be more Dutch if he tried, right? He couldn't be more Dutch. It is, it is a, bald Louis, a bald man's Louis van Hall um, and, and, and kind of this gruff, direct – poor Simon Peach got, uh, got the hairdryer treatment the other day for asking about Cristiano when it's obvious that he wants to put his foot down and draw a line in the sand with how individuals are looked at versus the collective, but yet the storyline writes itself because let's not be naive. It's Cristiano Ronaldo who could arguably be bigger than the club as opposed Mm. to the club being bigger than the individual. I think Eric Ten Hag has done a good job with what he is, the tools that he has right now. He brings in uh, Malasia, I think is going to be a starter by the end of the season. Um, Lissandro Martinez is the cleanest player technically on the ball across that back line. I know his size is going to be a constant narrative. Um, I thought he was good outside of the one where he slipped and got turned outside the penalty area and then tackled. Probably should have been a pen. Um, oh, that's and, a pen. I mean, we, that, we're not doing VAR this week. We'll hold it. But that if yeah, VAR is not going to give that, then what is the point? Well, in, the point? In, 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 if you're looking, if no, no two plays are identical, but if you're going to say that 
the Chelsea Everton game is a pen, then that hundred percent, then a hundred percent, they're both are penalties. Um, yeah. and and I'm I'm excited to see the Premier League referees come out and try to explain the differences. Um, so, anyways, back to the storyline. I think the curveball comes into Cristiano saying it's family issue, Cristiano not joining up with the team, the Cristiano's agent then talking and and it feels like sliding stories to people about Champions League. The return, uh, and and then for Anthony Marshall getting dinged up once again after having a strong preseason, which then it becomes just hype. Everything becomes hype through the preseason because now you have a manager accountability. You have the clips and everyone. He's barking. He's yelling. He's telling Harry Maguire, "What the f- are you doing back there?" Sorry, Tim. Um, and it, there's there feels like a, a new level of accountability, but he's also making missteps. And for me. For as 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 quality as Harry Maguire is and can be with the national team, there I think there's a big miscalculation by giving him the armband and announcing it so early in the preseason. Mm. Because you have made him undroppable. So you start from the back to the front. Now you have a guy that's completely undroppable. Then you look into the midfield, which was the biggest, biggest area of upgrading need for Manchester United finding yourself the most athletic smart eat up everything in front of you athletically gifted shuttler of the ball and you didn't get that over the line the Frankie de Jong is he get, is he staying is he going is is Barcelona going to pay his wages or not deferred blah 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 that that becomes a sideshow in of itself but that died down a month it's been a month yeah since Frankie de Jong jumped on the plane and went to uh, went to South Florida so and and now, I when you go down two nil, I mean think about the complexity for Eric Ten Hag looking at his bench. He's got Rafael Varane and Cristiano Ronaldo. A year ago, if you would have said to any United supporter that the first game of the following season Cristiano Ronaldo and Rafael Varane would be sitting on the bench mm. at home against Brighton, such a mess. Uh, off your off your top right. So. For Ten Hag, he's down 2-0. Imagine looking down at a player who obviously wants to continue to move on, right? He wanted to move on from Real Madrid. He wants to move on from Juve. He wants now to move on from Manchester United in this situation. I get it. I understand it. I I think it'd be best for both sides to move on. But for Ten Hag, he's got to look down and say, if he comes on and he scores two goals, we're, we're this is the story. It's it's Cristiano Ronaldo saves the day once again. But wasn't that lesson learned last year by the previous manager and the manager that followed? Well, it wasn't, was it? Because we're going to a game today on Sunday and they're doing it again. They're breaking glass and bringing on Cristiano Ronaldo. If you are, if you're going to come in and be like, I'm the big boss man, I'm the the big the big kahuna, the big cheese, the big boss, the 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 balls. I'm the balls of the operation. I'm the yeah. brains. Yeah. You know, I'm the capo de capotuti round here. You know, I'm the president. I'm the Vince McMahon. I'm the oh Donald boy. Trump. I'm the guy that tells you what's what. You know, I'm this guy. Actually, they're probably not good references these days. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, not any of that was a good reference. But, you know, I am the man. I'm in yeah. charge, right? Yeah. And if you're meant to be in charge, you're in charge, full stop. That's the end. Mm. I might think I'm in charge, but I'm not in charge. And if he has decided that this guy's got to go, we don't have a further conversation. Yeah. We don't We don't worry about reputation. Like Eric Ten Hag is already halfway out the door at Man United following game one. And he's had all this time to prep for this. Yeah. And he's shown he's indecisive. He's weak. At this moment, he is weak. He's made himself weak. And he hasn't made the strong play. So mm-hmm. later down the line, when the next player steps out of line, I know they're not Ronaldo, but Ronaldo is just another guy, right? Mm-hmm. There's an, I always think of this amazing song from when I was a kid. I may have told you about this before by a guy called Dan Sartain, right? And he just, it's, it's about how new music is coming, right? That's the concept of the song, right? With some other bits. And he does this list and it's like, all the great bands of your life, the Beatles, just a band, Elvis Presley, just a band, Oasis, just a band, The Clash, just a band, Sex Pistols, just a band, right? And it does this massive list. And it always sticks with me about football because we talk about these great players. They're just, they're, they're just men. They're just well, like, you know, they're just, 
you just at some point or other, he's just a man. Mm. You don't you don't pick the legend. Yeah. And if you want him, say I want him. If you don't want him, say you don't want him. And if you haven't decided, have you not watched football for twenty five years? Yeah, like you uh, must know if you want him or not. Well, just uh, and again, just go back and I listen. I I, I as a United fan. Watching Cristiano Ronaldo play first time around, how do you not fall in love with that type of player, right? Puts his head down, wants to leave, adds the extra year. He ends up getting his deal. He goes on, Real Madrid, blah, blah, blah. The, the, the future studies, he's, he has stamped and cemented his place as one of the all-time footballers, all-time footballers. That, that's undeniable. You cannot argue that. But at this stage of his career, when you go back and you even look at Ole's team that ends up in second position versus the team that's that played, started, and ended last season. Yeah. For everyone out there saying, oh, Cristiano Ronaldo, he scored 20-some goals. Look at what he did with that team, 20-some goals. I would also remind you, if you go back, last year they ended with a zero goal differential. A zero goal differential. If you just go back and statistically look at the goal scored the previous season, Please give me an argument as to mm. how Cristiano Ronaldo has made the club better, has made his teammates better. He's However, sco- he's scored on, incredible on that, goals. I only just want to move us on because we don't want to go on forever. And we ain't got that long left. There's other bits, but just just finally on this, right? Like, how close to this? And I want to ask you this as a Man United fan because this I read about this and I don't remember it as kind of vividly as Man United fans will. How close are we to having a Cesc Fabregas, David Moyes summer here with Manchester United and Eric Ten Hag? Yeah, I mean that's that's that that's the concern, right? I mean that that is that is honestly the big concern. I, I I don't I don't know what to make. I don't honestly. I was I was, you know, for me I'm a homer, right? I throw him a third in my top four finish because I I was hoping that this preseason. Yeah, I know, slap the head. I I was hoping that this preseason was enough of a snapshot as to what the future could look like for Ten Hag. And then here we are. So by the way, uh, I don't know if it was Joel Grant, Avram Grant, any of the Grant, uh, Kelly Grant, Casey Grant. I don't know who any of the Grants, Amy That's Grant. so many Grants. You, you was, named a lot of Grants Grant. at the top of your I head. I can't tell the difference between the Grants. Uh, but what I will say is that two things happened. Number one, it, it, it's, I hope, I hope that the performance today took away any hesitation of recognizing how vital these next three weeks in the transfer window are going to be. Mm. And number two, I think this performance or lack thereof really hurts Manchester United, really hurts Manchester United because those difference maker players, they don't want to walk into this show. The different, the, the elite of the, like when we talk about Darwin Nunez, when we talk about, when we talk about who we talk about Erling Holland, obviously different complexities with the, with the conversation about them joining, but say, say if there was Man City, there was Liverpool and there was Manchester United, these type of players aren't going to Manchester United. No, not no disrespect to Christian Eriksen, who by f- played as the number nine, played as the attacking eight, played as played the, as the six. number nine. Eric Ten Hag has He's lost incredible. so much credibility on Sunday. Christian Eriksen was the best player on the field. But he Manchester played him at United. number nine and he's uh, never played there. Uh, what this, are you What are you doing? What are put, you doing, Eric? Rashford through the middle, bring Ilanga on, but it just shows you how 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 vital it is to keep Eriksen on the field. He was the best player on the field. Yeah. But like, if you're if you're a world class player right now, why why would you want to go? And this is the exact same thing. What I was talking about, Eric Ten Hag. This is a major, major risk for Eric Ten Hag, the manager, to take this job because it's still a complete, I won't say it to him, issue. You're way, you're way over your quota. I am. I am. I'll hold back. I want to talk to you about Fulham. I want to talk to you about the Fulham game because Alexander Mitrovic, I, I'm doing a bit of an ode to players today because it's individual players that really stood out to me from the weekend. Mm-hmm. Alexander Mitrovic, I, I do like him. I like him in the sense that he's such an interesting story. In that I always think of there was a player called Darren Huckabee, yeah, which yeah, is, is yeah. a bit unfair with Darren Huckabee, but I always think of him when I think of players that were far, far too good for the championship, but not good yeah, enough for the North Premier City, League. Right. Yeah. And I came up with one joke one day, Norwich, exactly right, Norwich City, Coventry City. 
And I kind of this stupid joke one day on a show years ago where I called it the Huckabee Vortex. And I always think of the Huckabee Vortex between the two leagues where certain players live. And, you know, Tom Kearney might be in there now, for example, mm. another Fulham player. Um, Temu Puki at Norwich, you know, these sorts of guys. And Alexander Mitrovic lives there. Didn't do it at Newcastle. Didn't do it with Fulham last time he was up. But then he goes down to the championship last season. His record, folks, if you haven't seen his record, it is mind-blowing. 43 goals scored in 43 games. Now, you may well throw at me it's the championship, but it's still probably the seventh or eighth strongest league in European football, therefore the world. And um, it's it's and, and he did it incredibly well as they, they were amazing last year, Fulham, right? But still, now I don't think people who thought this are dumb in the same way I think people who thought hurling uh, uh, Holland would struggle. Hurling, that was good, um, would struggle because you could see the justification for thinking it wasn't going to work out. His performance against Liverpool was the unexpected delight of this entire weekend for me. Not just the goals, because the first goal, I mean, that is... I always think of my dad at a game I went to with him in 1997 when John Hartson scored his first goal for West Ham. Big John, big bad John. And he said this, and I don't know if you can say it now, but it was 1997, so what do you want from me? He was like, that is a man's goal. And I just think that is a proper, you know, a physical... I'm too strong for, for Trent Alexander-Arnold, Trent to his friends, um, but not never, commentators. Never even uh, looked at him. Never even ne- looked at him, Trent Alexander-Arnold. But he, he wouldn't. He, he got body bagged. This freight train is coming. I am yeah. in massive trouble here, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. He was basically wandering around the center of the ring, semi-days, waiting for the super kick. Like he was in massive, massive trouble. Um, and that was great. The penalty was great. The fact he wins the penalty was great. Um, it was a clear... 100% dive, but I am not going to come on this program and say I feel sorry for Liverpool, considering they've had Mo Salah all this time, cheating his ass off for penalties for years on end, okay? So, sue me, okay? Mm. I'm a hypocrite. I thought it was funny, okay? I thought it was funny. I'm sticking with the fact it was funny. Sorry, Tim, uh, but it was funny. But it was a dive, and, you know, VAR, again, much like the penalty you talked about earlier with the Brighton Man U, if they ain't going to pick up, that's a dive, and it was a clear dive, then what's the point? Um, but there we go. Yeah, that, that's, that's by the by. Let's not do VAR this week. But he takes the penalty and scores it. But it's not all that. It was a bit where he wins it on the edge of his own sort of penalty area and Jordan Henderson tries to stop him. Jordan Henderson lands on his backside looking up at the clouds like a small child trying to steal a winning lottery ticket off an adult. It was like, absolutely not, down. <laughs> and then from that, he carries the ball over the halfway line and then he Cruyff turns Virgil van Dijk. Yep. He Cruyff turns Virgil van Dijk, who he in the same game is for a penalty. Yeah. Now, Virgil van Dijk, I, I mean, I am sure of nobody in my admiration for how absolutely amazing and fully in control of a football match he is as a defender. So this is as high a praise as you can give someone. He made Virgil van Dijk look like a schoolboy. Mm. He made him look like the work experience going up against the most experienced veteran out on the field. It was opening day. I know, I know all that. It was a phenomenal performance. It was a performance done because of who it was against and when it was and the amount of eyes on it that in one swoop changed the reputation of a player. I don't think you'll hear again this season can do it in the championship, can't do it in the Premier League. Hmm. By the way, uh, work experience, is that like internship, just to be clear? It's below intern. Work experience okay. is like two weeks. Intern is like a longer period. But it's okay. like I worked in a primary school as a work experience when I was like 15 okay. as a teacher's assistant. Okay. That Got sort it. of thing. No, no. i just asking for clarity. Uh, I'm yeah. still learning the slang from uh, the British slang. The slang? The slang. Then they uh, just sign up front for Man United. Tommy hey, slang. By, by the way, uh, Tim, your boy, Jurgen Klopp. Just complaining about the grass being too the dry. dry pitch. The dry <laughs> pitch. Oh my god! Ooh, but could dear. he do it? But could Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool do it on a hot, humid, ninety-degree night in Houston on a Tuesday? That's the question I have for Jurgen Klopp. Uh, I, I just, you know, for Fulham, uh, spirit, right? There's a spirit to that team, um, and and, and um, American-wise, 
Tim Ream, Anthony Robinson, kind of on that left-hand side of the fence. I thought Tim Ream was really good, to be he quite honest He was so good. He was uh, he hilariously was... good. I had and... savaged him pre-game. <laughs> he was so good. <laughs> he was solid, right? A lot of U.S. soccer fans savage him as well because of his age and how Greg Berhalter would include him. But now when you see those type of performances, you kind of understand. Um, and I love the, the Dunsethery from Anthony Robinson near the end of the match, uh, popping balls over his shoulder for like fouling people, throwing the ball over his shoulder five yards, just enough not to get the yellow card, little toe pokes, shenanigans, dropping back, giving a forearm shiver to Mo Salah. Um, is there, con- listen, Liverpool, bad day, right? We know the class of Liverpool. There's no concern. Maybe the biggest concern is Thiago once again, pulling up lame um, and trying to find the man management. Um, of, of who steps on, who steps off. It's going to be a rotation. It's going to be a long season. Uh, but for Fulham, I, I just had spirit, man. There, there's a good yeah. spirit to this team. Oh, yeah, it's my turn. Let's go about Tottenham. Let's talk about spirit. Tottenham. Uh, I think what we saw uh, against Southampton was twofold. Number one, even when they face adversity, and a great, great goal from Ward-Prowse, uh, mm. even when they face adversity 15 minutes in a match, that there is now a self-belief in this team. Not that there wasn't before, but there's more of an intensity in the self-belief because it's Antonio Conte and the Lego helmet on the sideline that you know that they are going to, they're going to get yelled at, right? You're going to feel it immediately. Like, let's get going. Um, let's respond. And they do so. Sessegnon, what, I think it was five, six, seven minutes right after that. But then set pieces, the size and strength, uh, that giant melon of Eric Dyer getting on the end of one. Uh, making it 2-1. And then you start to, you see what what I think is kind of this complexity of a roster for Tottenham that they've continued to evolve with, where you're talking about who do you want to turn to? Um, if you need to turn to someone off the bench. And by the way, I thought it was a, I don't want to say a ballsy call, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a, a, a pretty big leadership call from Antonio Conte to not include any of his new signings into mm-hmm. his starting eleven. Um, I thought that was one of those moments where it's like, you've gone into the window, you have continually talked about the need to strengthen your team, to bring players in, to get the guys that you want, and then you effectively roll the guys that you rolled at the end of last season, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you could literally take this starting 11 and say, this was the last couple of games in the season, trying to qualify for Champions League. So I thought that was a big call. Man, I'll, I'll tell you what, it's it's hard. It's it's going to be very hard for people to look past Tottenham this year with the depth that they have, with the rotation that either Conte uses or does not use. And I think the biggest challenge isn't going to be for this group of players. It's going to be for the perception, because of what happened at Inter Milan, for Antonio Conte to manage this group through Champions League play, especially... Mm as we'll continue to reference throughout the course of the season, this weird World Cup, oh. push it back. It's so stupid. I don't know why we're doing it for so many different reasons in Qatar that now Antonio Conte, how does he manage this group of players? But bringing Perisic, uh, Basuma, Lingley, even Lucas Mora off the bench, um, man, this is this is kind of a, a juggernaut that they're not going to win it. Are you saying they can no, win no, it? No, are you no, saying no, something no, 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 no. They, they, they are going to be the best of the rest. It's Which Man is what, as in third, Liverpool. best of the rest. I, well, I had Man United as as third, but yes, the best of Do the rest. Do you think there's any scenario where Tottenham finish below Manchester United? Uh, unless, no. I think Thomas Tuchel's the first big manager to go this year. I, unless you think things go you, dramatically wrong for right. Antonio Conte and Tottenham, no, I don't, I don't think anything changes. I think would, Tottenham are the best of the rest. When would you have Tuchel at Man United? Will, will I take Tuchel at Would Man United? Would you have Tuchel at Man United? Oh, Tuchel. I've got so much respect, but he irritates me so much. Yeah. Did you see physical- how short his trousers were? What the f- so it's annoying. The, it's he the was physical- wearing seven-tenths of trousers. It's Can no one phys- get this man a pair of trousers that fit? Or a hat that goes on straight? I don't like how he acts on the bench. I, I, don't, like, I don't care if you get pissed off, but it's, it's the constant throwing the arms and disgust and looking at his assistants. And th- that's just going to wear, it's going to wear on these guys at some think, point. Is it going to be more gonna... wearing than um, Eric Ten Hag essentially being like a catalog model mm. for mid range suits. He's a good looking man. He's a good looking <laughs> man. man. No, he's a good, he's a great looking man. I, um, I agree with you on Tottenham. I think they, I actually think they, 
in another universe could challenge the league. The trouble is Erling Haaland exists. Um, and I suppose if they're the Beatles and I suppose Liverpool are the Stones, that makes them uh, the Hollies? Who'd be third in like that list of like bands in the 60s? You had to put them in a list. Sugar Ray. Uh, the Kinks, maybe. The Kinks. Oh, okay. You'd go, you go Beatles, Stones, Kinks. So they're like the Kinks, which means uh, Man United are um, Max Bygraves. That's such a, that is so niche. That is so such niche. A That's such that a deep pull. So, so niche. He's a, was a TV presenter, a novelty singer of that era. Who yeah. sang, oh, my pink toothbrush, my pink toothbrush. I go everywhere with my pink toothbrush. What, uh, wasn't that the Smurfs? The Smurfs ripped that off of him. Max Bygraves. Yeah, they stole the it off Smurfs. Max. I know. Yeah, yeah, the Smurfs, right? I'm not wrong in that. Yeah, I, I think they took that from Max Bygraves' album, <laughs> Singing with the Smurfs. Can I just do one th- one more thing here? I, I know you got a really good one last. I, I just wanted to raise this with you because mm. you go on the telly. They don't invite me on the telly. Uh, for whatever reason. I am available to be invited on the telly anytime. Um, I was in the urinals at London Stadium on Sunday, and I was taking a wee quite close to Peter Drury. Oh. Um, I was maybe four or five urinals over. It wasn't the time to say hello. Um, He's he fantastic. Has, he does a great I, I job. Mean, but on MB- I said when he got the job on NBC, with no disrespect to anyone else who's worked there, because I think, you know, that lots of commentators are great. But just me personally, personal preference, I think Peter Drury is the number one best commentator in football. I think he's brilliant. I love the ham. Mm. I love the ham of it all. And that is not a reference to the urinal. I mean that I love the I love the the fact he's so performative, right? He's like being he's theatrical. I love that about him. But I didn't say hello to him. Uh, he has he has come on Sirius XMFC before. We've had him on Grumpy Punish before. And I've spoke to him at kind of, uh, at, you know, grip and grin events previously. But we're not friends or anything. Um, so it wasn't appropriate to say hello in the in the pisser. Uh, <laughs> this is weird. But what I did notice about him, and I also saw Graham Lasso and the NBC guys, and they're smart. They smart. They dress smart. Mm. They've all got shirts on. They've all got ties on. Down the way, the, the Sky Sports Sky people. Sky Sports. The all black t-shirts, pants. Yeah, yeah, Karen yeah. Carney was there. Yeah. Uh, Roy Keane, desperately trying to avoid Alfie Ingerholland for obvious reasons. Um, look it up, folks. You'll like Keane a lot less or more if you're a nutter. Um, and they're all the night t-shirts and stuff. And I just think that we've got into a bit of a space now in broadcasting in England where America isn't. And I think America is better in this. If you're on TV, put a suit on, Hmm. put a tie on, at least a shirt, maybe a blazer, certainly trousers and shoes. You're not going down the gym. You're not going down the local spoonsies. You're not going down uh, for dinner with the wife. You're not, it's not, it's not like a Sunday off. It's work. You're on the telly. People on the telly should put a tie on. We're in a situation now in England where people who read the news these days don't put ties on. Hmm. What happened to suits on TV? Why do you think America does it? And why do you think the UK is Brexiting on ties? So I I noticed this the other day. Uh, What was I watching? It was something with Sky Sports and it had like Sky Sports News is so cash. It's irritatingly cash. It was a Sky Sports football group um, that it's on their YouTube page. That's how I'm able to watch. Oh, and it was Micah Richards and Carragher, all black T-shirts. What is is Micah lifting right now? Dude is just like bench pressing like refrigerators. He's massive. He looks massive, yeah. I mean, his arms, his chest, the dude is yoked. Anyways, um. Yeah, I know. I was like, just black top, black hoodie, black long sleeve, black pants, slacks with sneakers on. Like, that's the look. And I was like, okay, well, it's a casual setting. It's on a set. Like, okay, that's what they're going to do. That's fine. Um, when I do the local show out here in Salt Lake City, I do a blazer on top with a black shirt with like some different color pants. I wear my Jordans, kind of mix and match. But, I, you know, I always have a jacket on. Um, but then when you do games, like I wear a three-piece suit. I always have the vest on. Yeah, I, I like to, you know, you look the part. Are you, but, would you, in America, are you asked to do that? I feel free not to answer this. No, are no, you, it's, it's someone expected. Say you must yeah, yeah. No, 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 it's expected. But the, the difference is for us here in the States is very rarely we're dealing with inclement weather. Like we're not dealing with difficult right, weather. Okay. Whereas, you know, in the beginning of the season, late in the season, you might have a, you might have a zip up on, right? But you will take it off when you're on camera, you zip it up and you put it back on. Uh, what we've seen with NBC Sports, because that's the primary provider, is that the guys that were over there would wear some type of 
smarter looking jacket or button up or something with a hood um, that would look nice. Um, but it wasn't as casual. Now we've had Champions League coverage. I believe it was, was it Bleacher and TNT, Tim? Yeah, where it was just kind of put a jacket on. Um, but it was not it was not suit and tie. It was very relaxed, but they only had the coverage for a year before they, they bumped that on to CBS Sports. And now we have Micah. Um, who do we have? It was it was Micah, Kate Abdo, um, Jamie Carragher, and then sometimes Terry Henry was sometimes Roberto Martinez. It kind of like mm. bounced off. And they were still it it wasn't always suit and tie but it was it was really good looking type of clothes but it's, you... it's even gone now that i mean if, that's sort of you're describing smart casual that's mm. like if you're going out for lunch with your grandmother you'd maybe do smart casual you're going mm. on a nice sunday roast with grannies that sort of thing whereas if you're like you know going to a, a, a business meeting you go full suit so mm. you know you got all levels of I it hear you you got I your church you. outfit and you've got all this sort of stuff but like this is not like they're not doing lunch with granny, not doing church outfit. Mm. They're not doing smart casual. It's not like I often would wear like a shirt with a thin merino wool or cashmere like yeah. thin jumper over. over the top. Yeah. That's yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. But they're like they, they they just go on TV now and they're just dressed like they are going to college. And I just I just don't like it. I like and I looked at the NBC guys and I thought, yes, you're going on TV like smarten up. Wear your church clothes. And I just, I'm just not into it. I, the the casualification of, of football has gone too far. And we need to bring back the tie. Yeah, I, I wonder, I, I wonder if we're kind of in this new phase of a younger generation getting into, and I, and, and I actually really love this conversation. I wonder if we're getting into a phase where kind of our generation are starting to get into decision-making roles mm. and it is not as prim and proper the way they are looking at the way consumption is for broadcast, right? Because for example, like for us here in the States on, I think it was Friday, we could watch the NBC sports coverage, but there's no NBC sports anymore. So it's gone over to USA channel. So you have to find the USA channel or that you could go to, to the NA, um, the, the Spanish speaking broadcast. But then on the weekend, I've had to consume all of premier league on the Peacock app. Right. Yeah. So log into the app. But now, because I'm Xfinity, there's only a couple of games that I could watch that I wasn't logged into my home network, even though I had access to my phone, I had coverage and everything. So I just wonder now if there's kind of this, how do we, can we become more sensible in our presentation that would relate younger generations to, hey, we're cool, we're hip, we're one of you, look at what we're wearing, you're going to like us, we're the greatest. Because the information, the coverage is there. You know you're going to get the quality. You know you're going to get the banter, the debate. You yeah. know, you're, you're, you're going to get all of that. But I, I just wonder if maybe if it's, you know, because, I, for example, when we were at Fox Soccer Channel, uh, we had a, a, a guy named Dermot. And Dermot was at Sky. And he was over in, in, in Glasgow Sky. And he was in London Sky. So he made us wear a white collared shirt with kind of the Fox Soccer. It was a, It was a tie for Fox Soccer. With a Fox Soccer tie with, like, it had kind of like a like gold and blue and it was like it was a proper navy color but then it was a navy jacket with the fox soccer emblem on the on the front pocket oh i love it i love and, that and that was like the look that was oh yeah Dermot, you got to wear your jacket every time you're on camera like you couldn't even take your jacket off sorry who was Houston. he was he in apocalypse Dermot. now Dermot. hello Dermot. i, I said one time the, i love the smell of a f suit in the morning <laughs> i said i said one time uh he puts it through the wick he pushes it through the wickets he walks into the broadcast was don't you can ever say he pushes it through the <laughs> wickets that's the wrong spot sorry tim twice that was thrice <laughs> three times sorry tim. I just anyway i mean it's just it you know i i understand it just feels a little bit like it is people who are 50 trying to dress like they're 20 for people mm. who are 15 mm. and if you're on the telly, put a tie on, clean behind your ears. Sponsorship? You know, imp impress your mother. Sponsorship? I don't know. I don't know. One final bit. You know who doesn't wear a suit? Hmm. Jesse? Oh. And you've got to, I mean, we've got to end Jesse on Jesse. You've got to tell me about Jesse. Jesse First of Marsh. all, dressing like your new stepdad. And number two, um, trying to 
give it big style to Bruno Lodge. Oh, Tell me about him. it. He gave him the big style. Yeah, Jesse looks like uh, the uncle that might take you for an ice cream. Might yeah. go get you uh, an Oreo Blizzard shake and hold it upside down and see. see hey, fall out. Doesn't fall out. Little little Timmy, I've got to tell you, your mom, she's a desirable woman. <laughs> your mother is a really desirable woman, and I know it's been a long time since since your dad left. And look, I'm going to be sleeping over more now. And if you hear your mom screaming in the night, she doesn't want you to come help. All right. So you just make sure now, little Timmy, that. You know that me, Uncle Jesse, I'm going to take good care of her, all right? Here's your ice cream. Go back to your room and don't come out. Oh, man. It's like, it's like a, new, a new season. It's a, it's a reboot of Full House. Um, <laughs> so, listen, Jesse Marsh, let me tell you a quick story for those that, that are, are on that side of the pond, not this side of the pond in the United States. Jesse Marsh, man, he get, Bruno Lodge doesn't want any of that smoke. I tell you what, that is as Jesse Marsh as the Jesse Marsh that I've known and played against in in the United States in Major League Soccer since I joined in 1997. Let me tell you a little story about Jesse. Uh, Princeton for college, super intelligent guy. As a player, oh, the most punchable face in Major League Soccer. He never shut up. He always had something to say. He was running and tackling and yelling and moaning at the referee. It was constant. It was constant, but he was a heck of a player. He was a heck of a role player, and he was a guy that annoyed the living out of you. Sorry, Tim, but he was a winner, and he was he was beloved by his managers. And everywhere he went, he raised the standard, raised the accountability. He he had that leadership. Even when he ended his career at Chivas USA with Bob Bradley, he was a guy in the locker room, even with like established guys established like Mexican national team players, guys that have played multiple World Cups, played hundreds of caps, Ramon Ramirez and Paco Palencia and Claudio Suarez, Olimperador. Like Jesse was the leader in that locker room. Um, and he was still moaning. He always had something to say. He never shut up. So when Jesse retired, he went with Bob Bradley with the U.S. men's national team, uh, did a fantastic job as an assistant, got a ton of experience, got the very first job for the Montreal Impact when they came into town. Joey Saputo is a, a, a psychopath. That's the reason why he ended up leaving after a year, was involved in, in, in MLS, ended up at the New York Red Bulls, was doing his, his badges overseas, and he got his opportunity, right? He got his opportunity at RB Leipzig. Then he goes to Red Bull Salzburg. He goes back to Leipzig. That doesn't work out. Then he takes over for Bielsa. There's a big ghost over his shoulder, um, and, and you knew that it was going to be hard for Jess to keep the team up. He does so. His openness, his honesty, I think his candor, his, his, his on-air personality, the way he transmitted uh, the answers to even, even the, the, the most cynical of voices over in England, right? There's a lot of them, Brad Bobley, et cetera, for American managers. I get all that. No one's naive to it. I think he's done a really good job. And I think what he's done, not only the win, but I think against Wolves, what he's also done, he's taken a huge risk in Brendan Aronson. He's taken a huge risk in Tyler Adams, both who, which I thought were fantastic for Leeds. Yep. Um, and, and I'll make this call, this, this call right now. I think Brendan Aronson turns out to be the player that every American fan wanted Christian Pulisic to be. That's how good he is. That's how good his ceiling is. That's how high his ceiling is. Um, the end of that match, words, attitudes, body language, any of that, Jesse won't back down. Mm. I, I, I'm telling you. Leeds United fans are going to love him. He is going to be a spectacle to keep an eye on for all of the other fans. You, you might hate him. You might enjoy him. But he's got, he's got a little clop to him. And listen, I know that's trying to compare. But I'm talking. As a personality. He, he, yeah, he's not going to back down. He's yeah. got, he's got a, a boisterous personality. And I'm telling you, the players are going to love him. And I think the players are buying into everything that he's selling to them right now. Mm. And you saw that at the start of the season. And for Bruno Lodge, listen, you don't want to shake his hand. You think he's a jerk. You think he's a d You think he's a d Sorry, Tim. I don't know which one's those. You got to bleep. At the end of the day, um, he's not going to back down. And this yeah. is vintage prime Jesse Marsh on the sideline, pointing fingers, MFing him back. He's not going to back down. This is just the start. And I, I love it. I love every second of it. 
I know we're out of time here, uh, but final bit on this, because I wrote the joke, so I'm using it. I was doing the Chelsea game against Everton at the weekend. First point, because you mentioned it, I thought the Aronson call was interesting. I thought he was great as well. Um, you watch Raheem Sterling in that game for Chelsea and the way when they're trying to kick him, he's he's got that low centre of gravity and he's yeah. evading challenges. You watch Christian Pulisic, he's too weak. He, yeah. he, 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 doesn't have, he doesn't have that bit that Sterling has, that I think Aronson has. I think that's a really interesting comparison. He's got to get it, but he hasn't got it, and that's why he doesn't get a start for Chelsea. But on the Chelsea-Everton game, won by Chelsea, I think, I can't recall, I wiped it from my memory. Um, that game was like a testimonial for a player that nobody liked. <laughs> See, I wrote the joke. There was nowhere to use it, but there it is to end the programme. Uh. Well, that was this week's episode of Week in the Tackle. It's great to be back. There'll be another one next week hopefully uh, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more give us a five-star rating and leave a review subscribe on apple Podcasts, stitcher pandora wherever you get your podcasts you know it's up to you don't ask me where to go it's the 21st century you've got your own favorite podcast platform you leave us a five-star review though on any of those platforms tim the horse horsey will find them and we may read them out if we think they're funny and or cool and mainly compliment me i'm tom by the way a Week in the Tech and also available on the SXM app, free for most subscribers. Download it today and tap podcast. You're already a subscriber, so why wouldn't you have the app? That's just weird. Uh, for video clips of the show and loads of other bits and bobs, go to Twitter and Instagram and find us at SiriusXMFC. Week in the Tackle is part of the SiriusXM podcast network and is produced by Tim Horsey. The executive producer is Pete Corey. Sound design was by Joey DeFazio. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM FC's Program Director, Joe Tollison. SiriusXM Podcasts.